The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is going to come from Exodus 32, verses 1 through 15 and 30 through 31, 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and he said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the the Egyptians say with evil intent, Did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Verses 30 through 32. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. 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 Before turning to God's word, will you just bow in a quick word of prayer with me? Dear God, as we just got through singing, worthy is your name. You are the one true God. You are the reason why we have air to breathe right now. You are the reason why we have life, why we have joy, why we have peace. And Lord, we just say thank you. And God, even now, as we turn to hear from your word, what we are to know about you and what we are to do as your children. God, I just pray, Lord, that you, through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit, move in such a powerful and special way right now. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many might think that to avoid disaster, you need to keep control. But I, I believe that this lesson today is actually going to teach us that when we fight to hold on to control is when disaster act, actually comes. So the title for this morning's message is The Disaster of Control. The disaster of control. And I have to begin with a confession. Your newly associate pastor-elect has a confession. And my confession being, I hate to say it, I'm a bit of a control freak. No, if you talk to me or spend the day with me, you might not notice my need to be in control. But nonetheless, I am Sir Gregory Thornton, and I am a recovering control freak. This was made notice to me um, um, just this year. Actually, at the beginning of this year, myself, Michael Davis, Artez, and Wayne took a car trip to a church um, meeting in Montgomery, Alabama. And Michael Davis was driving. I was in the front seat trying to be a good co-pilot. He plugged his GPS on, um, his phone up to the GPS, and I turned my GPS on just to make sure his GPS didn't mess up. And if you know Michael Davis, you know this upset him. And we began to drive, and me wanting to be a good co-pilot, I didn't go to sleep. I wasn't on my phone on social media. I had my eyes on the road trying to make sure we was good, trying to be a, a good co-pilot. And, and when the GPS started to say, your right turn is coming up, I was like, hey, Mike, you might want to slow down. Your right turn is right here. And again, if you know anything about Michael Davis, you know this upset him. Bro, get in the back seat, bro. Artez, get in the front, man. I ain't never taking a trip with you again. My turn all the way up there, man. I got plenty of time. Be quiet. And we argued, and I was just like, bro, I'm just trying to be a co-pilot, man. You can't take help. You know, we went back and forth on that. Well, about three weeks ago, I was in Pittsburgh, and, and, um, and I was grown. My friend picked me up from the airport, and he was my host, my driver, for the entire time I was there. And as we was driving back to the airport for me to return home, I turned on my GPS again to make sure he knew where he was going. And he looked at me and said, bro, you got control issues. And I said, I do. 
And for the next five minutes, I had a free therapy session, and, 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 and I said that when I was a child, I was in a horrible car wreck. And when I turned 16 and got my first car, my first car, hydroplane, and I wrecked. And when I first got to college, I got in my friend's car, and this man drove full speed to an oncoming car in the parking lot. So every time I get in the car, there's this fear, there's this anxiety that rises up in me, and I do everything I can to regain a sense of control. Tim Keller, a pastor and author in his book, The Counterfeit God, spends the entire book pretty much telling us that we all have idols. Idols are these counterfeits gods formed in our hearts when we look to them to give us what only God can. Tim Keller says an idol is anything more important than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And Tim Keller doesn't say it directly in his book, but I would add that an idol is anything that we look to to keep control of our lives. And often these are good things and even needed things, but we turn these needed things into bad things by using them to regain control of our lives. A bottle of wine is an example. There's nothing technically wrong with a bottle of wine, but when you have had a hard day or a hard week and you solely look to this bottle to take away your worry and pain to control your stress level, you have just made an idol. There's nothing wrong with being a good citizen and, and utilizing your votes. But when you place your faith, allegiance, and sense of security solely in a certain political party winning and being in office, I think it's safe to say that you have just made that political party your idol and source of control. I can continue with examples, but I think you get the point. But the problem with our idols or our need for control that we learn in our scripture today is that idols, though they may appear harmless, normal, or even natural on reactions, are actually displeasing to God. Because they communicate, God, I don't need you on this. All I need for peace, provision, and life satisfaction is actually this. Our need for control communicates that we must take matters into our own hands because God isn't trustworthy. And something that Exodus 32 teaches us that we can't overlook, and the main idea this morning is that the need for control is a lack of faith that is displeasing to God. Let's do a recap real quick. In chapter 20, God gives Israel commandments, the Ten Commandments, and these are actually a sign of grace, teaching Israel how to live in a prosperous way. In chapter 19, Israel actually says, God, on one accord, it says that Israel said that we are going to do everything the Lord tells us to do. Then when we come to chapter 24, that says Israel was camped out at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and the glory of God descended on the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, God called Moses up, up to the mountain to, to, to speak with him. And Moses, being a good leader, gathered the leaders of Israel, and like a parent leaving the kids at home for the first time by themselves, says, all right, children, I'm about to go up here on this mountain. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone, but you shouldn't need anything. If you, if you have any worries or any problems, don't worry, because Aaron is going to be in charge. Don't open this door for nobody. Don't pick up their phone. Just keep the door shut, and Aaron is going to be in charge. 
Moses goes up on the mountain. And if you heard last week, God is actually giving Moses the, the, the instructions to build the, the tabernacle so God can actually dwell in the midst of the people. But chapter 24 tells us an important detail. It says that Moses was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights of just sitting idly, not knowing what's going on. 40 days and 40 nights of becoming more and more anxious about when will we leave this irritating location and get to the land that God promised us. 40 days and 40 nights of waiting for God to move makes the people want to take control back into their hands. So now let's look at verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, they gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, get up, Aaron. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has come of him. This leads us to our first point this morning. This simply is our need for control and lack of trust creates false worship. The people saw that Moses delayed to come down. In simple terms, Moses was just taking way too long. And they didn't have a clue what he was up on the mountain doing. So Aaron, you're in charge. We're not going to just sit here and do nothing. We need you to get up right now and, and make us a God who shall lead us. They asked for a God to lead them in the same way that Yahweh has already led them. God has brought them out, delivered them, given them food, given them water, given them everything. What more can you ask God for? We know the, the answer, nothing, but I believe there is one problem for the people, and we today have the same problem. The problem that Israel had with God is that God is a God that they cannot control. And this is our problem as, as human beings. We want to control and manipulate God, but God is the only thing, person in this world that we have no ability to control. We live in a life where we want to control everything. I woke up this morning, it was a little chilly, so I went to my thermostat and controlled the temperature in my house. I get in my car and, 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 and my leather seats was a little cold, so I pushed the little button to control how warm my car is. If you call me talking crazy, I have control to not only hang up the phone, but actually block you from ever calling me again. We all want control in our lives. And we also have the ability to manipulate people. If you're standing in my way, I can politely say, excuse me, and you're going to move. I gave my daughter a little, the, the blue popsicle, and she said, I want the green popsicle. And I said, you got the blue popsicle, be quiet. And she started to nag and whine until she manipulated me to give her the green popsicle. We all have the ability to control and manipulate, but we cannot control and manipulate God. So Aaron says, bring me your gold. And all of the people, it says, the women, the boys, the girls, they all brought Aaron their goal. And if we was to look back in Exodus, when they was leaving Exodus in chapter 12, God told Moses to tell the people that when you are leaving, ask the Egyptians for gold and they're going to give you gold. So as they was leaving Egypt, the Egyptians just threw all the gold that they had at Israel. Now Israel is filled with gold. But if you remember last week, Moses is on the mountain getting the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And God said that the gold that you get is actually for my house. 
The gold that I gave you is actually to be used to worship me, but Aaron taking the gold that is used in worship of God to form a new God to worship. And this is the foundation of what false worship is. It's simply taking the life, the physical blessings, and everything that God has given you and offering it to something or someone else. Later on in the Bible, Hosea chapter 2, God is going to say, I am the one who gave you the grain, the wine, the food, the gold, and the silver. Everything that you have, I'm the one who gave it to you, but you are taking everything I have given you, and you are giving it to worthless idols. This is false worship. So Aaron takes this gold, and he fashioned it and made a golden calf. He said, these are your gods. Aaron fashioned and made his own God. I love the imagery of the word fashion. It, it gives the picture of one creating and shaping with their own hands. And, and, and it's the picture of one adding or subtracting, choosing exactly what they want or what they don't want. So Aaron is saying, this is a God who is up there on the mountain that we can't control, I'm going to fashion and create a God in my own life that I can control. The old French philosopher Voltaire, who actually wasn't even a believer, said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And we have been trying to return the favor ever since by creating God in our own image. God created us. God is the one who fashioned us and told us how we are to live. And now because of our pride and the ego, we say, you know what, God, I appreciate you, but I'm now about to tell you who you are to be in my life. And I always read this story and assumed that when the people asked Aaron to make us new gods, I always assumed that they were saying, we do not want Yahweh anymore. We want an entirely new God. I always assumed that make for us gods who will lead us. But as I read this and looked at it again, Aaron said when he fashioned the calf, he said, these are your gods who led you out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, Aaron built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. This, the word Lord is actually the same name Yahweh given back in Exodus 3. So Israel isn't saying we don't believe in the Lord anymore anymore and the one who saved us and brought us out, but they are saying we do believe in the Lord, but this is how we are going to worship the Lord. We aren't going to follow and obey God on his terms. We are going to fashion God and create a small package God that is comfortable for us and allow us to live as we see fit. This is false worship, this guy said. In church, we have to be on guard, especially today, to not drink the Kool-Aid of the world that says if you feel something in you, then it has to be right. And if you are in a place that doesn't affirm you, you have to find a place that will affirm you. Go and find you a new community or church that affirms any and everything that you feel to be true. I have to warn us about what Scripture says. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all and desperately sick. 
The heart is deceitful above all and desperately sick. And you can be at a place where you feel something, something so strongly, so true in your core that, that, that everyone around you is saying you're wrong. But you might think, I just need to leave y'all and go find me somebody who will. You need to be on guard. Meaning that you might be actually at a place where it's actually your need for control, screaming, you need to find something new. False worship. And our need for control leads to false worship. And secondly, false worship ignites God's wrath. False worship ignites God's wrath. The people are at the bottom of the mountain, and Scripture tells us they're throwing a feast. they kicking it. they having the time of their lives. In verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone, Moses, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I might make a great nation out of you. False worship ignites God's wrath. Your sin angers God. Your indifference to honor the Lord God is offensive. Your compromise to allow a little sin in your life inflames the embers of God's wrath. At the beginning, when God first spoke to Moses, God said, I want you to go and bring my people out of Egypt. God said, I have seen the affliction of my people, and I'm getting ready to bring my people out. And now because of their sin, God is saying, Moses, your people. When I come home some days and little sir been cutting up, giving Jade a run for her money, I walk in the house, and she say, get your son. I don't know what to do with your son. Your son is out of check. You need to do something with your son. And I'd be like, I mean, he, he, he your son too. You all know what to do. And this is where God is. God is saying, hey, I, I know I saved them. I know I brought them out. But because they have turned away from me and turned to these idol gods, they are not my people. They are yours. They are a stiff-necked people. They have corrupted themselves. And this false worship ignites God's wrath. And I can't skip past this because God said, Moses, get out the way. Leave me alone because I'm about to consume and, 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 and devour these people. But don't worry, I'm still going to keep my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Moses. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And I need us to see two things before we move on. God is on the mountain getting ready to execute judgment on Israel, and Israel are down below having a feast. The first thing we need to see is that you can be in the presence of religious activity and still not truly worship the Lord. 
you can be an everyday, every Sunday church goer and still miss God. And if you think that God has to get on your page for God to be in your life, that is not worship, and God is offended by this. And the second thing I need us to see before we move on is that the people are oblivious to the wrath of God. The text actually said that the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. I love the Hebrew word there. It actually translates dally. <laughs> they rose up to just dally around. I don't know what dally is, but I picture someone just dallying around, you know. The people are, they don't have no concern in their life at all. They think everything is good. They think everything is going on. Um, um, they got a good job. They got food. They good, but they are oblivious to the wrath of God. And this is a warning that our worship, our, our corruption of worship has ignited the wrath of God. But y'all ready for some good news this morning? The good news is that God's wrath is appeased by the intercessor and redeemer. God's wrath is appeased, satisfied, quenched by the intercessor and redeemer. It's amazing that Moses is the only person in the Bible that is described as someone speaking with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And I think we see that clearly right here because when God said, Moses, get out of my way, I'm about to burn the people, the text says that Moses implored the Lord. It's almost as if a friend um, um, sees a Another friend angry about to do something they might regret. And you over there like, hey, man, calm down. You know, I don't think you really want to do this. And Moses implored the Lord, saying, come on, God. You call them my people. You know they are your people who you brought out of Egypt. At first, I didn't want to go, but you made me go, Moses, God. So, so don't forget that you love this people. You brought them out of Egypt. You loved them and saved them with steadfast love and compassion. And don't forget the covenant, the promise that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And verse 14 says, the Lord relented. Some translation says repented, but the Lord changed his mind, not because the Lord was wrong, but the Lord changed his mind because Moses interceded on their behalf. The Lord didn't send wrath on the people, not because they didn't deserve it, but because Moses was their intercessor. An intercessor is someone who helps you by speaking up on your behalf, right? I hope I never need them. But if I was to get in trouble, um, I'm going to call my intercessor, my lawyer, Dr. Phil Harvey. And if I get in trouble, I'm going to expect Phil Harvey to come to the courtroom and intercede on my behalf. Even if I know I'm guilty because he is qualified, he is a qualified lawyer, I'm going to ask him to intercede for me. And I love the fact that Moses is Israel's intercessor. But Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is able to save whoever, those who draw near to God through him, since he, Jesus, lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8, Paul says Jesus was raised to life and is, interse is interceding on our behalf before the dawn. Jesus lives 
to intercede for us before the throne of God. What this means in practical terms is that Jesus is, is currently and actively standing before the throne saying, God, I know little Jimmy just messed up again. I know little Jimmy promised last time was my last time, but don't remember him in light of his sin. Remember him in light of your steadfast love. I know my young lady, I, I know my sister is, is, is unforgiving and, and holding this unforgiveness in her heart and it's growing into bitterness. But Lord, instead of condemning her, remind her of your steadfast love. Jesus is living and exalted and is raised to life to intercede on our behalf. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking up for me on my behalf that I may not face the punishment of God. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough that even though when I'm wrong, you can make me right. Thank you, Jesus, for being our living and active intercessor. Moses interceded for the people, and God relented of his wrath. Moses went down the mountain. We didn't read that part, but you can read that part. And Moses took off his belt on the people and cut up. But the next morning... Moses said, enough wasn't done to truly appease the wrath of God. Look at verse 30. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps, just maybe, I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, this people has sinned a great sin. They made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, block me out of your book that you have written. Moses just isn't an intercessor, someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. But Moses offered to be a redeemer. Someone who atones for somebody else's sin. See, Moses said in verse 30 to the people, y'all really don't know what y'all just got yourselves into. My cute little apology wasn't enough. Somebody has to pay the price for sin. God has already told us that the price for sin, blood has to be shed. Don't worry, we don't have the perfect lamb who can take away y'all's sin, but just maybe, just maybe, I can present myself as the sacrifice to atone for your sin. Because this makes me happy right here, y'all. This makes me happy because it's one thing to have a great intercessor. It's one thing to have someone who speaks up for me in ways I can't speak up for myself. But if I'm in a courtroom and my intercessor um, um, and I'm still found guilty, I'm the one still have to face the consequences of my actions while my intercessor goes free. But the difference between the intercessor and a redeemer is that the redeemer steps up and intercedes by taking your place. See, the intercessor only speaks up, but the redeemer steps up. And Moses said, I'm going to step up in your place and just perhaps I can take your place of sin. So Moses, one morning, walks up that hill. It says, yes, God, these people are hard-headed. They sinned greatly against you, but if you would just forgive their sin. And if you read in your Bible, in verse 32, Moses started this sentence, but then there's this dash as if he didn't finish his sentence and just stops talking and says, but if you can't, 
Don't take them. Take me. Moses is not only willing to speak up, but he's willing to step up. And I love God's simple response. <laughs> the next verse, God said, Moses going to lead my people. Moses, <laughs> just go lead my people. I love how Pastor Terry Anderson said, God, Pastor Anderson says, God said, Moses, nice try, but you can't offer yourself up as a sacrifice because you are just as jacked up as they are. <laughs> Moses, I know you tried to take their place. That's, that's commendable. That's, that's, that's admirable. But you are just corrupted as the people. But God said, um, what you're doing is a wonderful gesture, but you're trying to do something that somebody else is going to do. You're trying to offer yourself up as a substitute, but I already have a substitute. You're trying to be a redeemer, but I already have a redeemer. Moses, you can't be the high priest because I have a great high priest. Moses, you're trying to lay down your life, but I have someone whom all things were created who's going to come through time to the room of a virgin and lay down his life to save his people. Do you know him? Do you know him? No, his name is not written in Exodus chapter 32. His, the great redeemer name is not Moses, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, but do you know him? He's the Lamb of God. The word that became flesh. He's the bread of life, the spring of living water who can satisfy your soul. He's the good shepherd who will leave the 99 just for the one. Do you know? He's the one that when your heart and mind is filled with worry and doubt can take your burdens and keep you in perfect peace. He's the shepherd when your life gets heavy will lead you beside still waters and restore your soul. He's the faithful God, the bright and morning star. He's the father to the fatherless and the mother to the motherless. He's the prince of peace. He's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's saving angel. He's, he's Samson's power. He's Ezekiel's will on top of a hill. He is the faithful one who promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know him? He's Mary's baby. Joseph's carpenter apprentice. He's James and Jude, older brother. He was born in Bethlehem but grew up in Nazareth. He, he's the one who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind. Do you know? And he, like Moses, saw us in our sin. And one early morning walked up a hill. And he hung on the cross. And as an intercessor, he said, God, he spoke up and said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave his last breath and he died. But early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer lives. Jesus is the one who rightfully can take our place. Jesus is the one who, who, who said, even though they don't deserve it, in my love, I'm going to do it to save them. And y'all... I'm looking at y'all faces. I know some of y'all, I know y'all have been walking with God for quite some time. And it's easy to forget who you was when God met you. I don't know about you, but I was a jacked up sinner. And it's only by his amazing grace 
and I've been found. I was lost, what the word, I, I was lost, but now I'm fine, blind, but now I see. I thank God that he can save a wretched sinner like me. And the good news for us today is that when we have destroyed our lives, fighting for control and running to idols, Jesus is a miracle worker who can fix any brokenness and heal any sickness. Maybe you're someone right now whose heart is heavy and filled with pain. Maybe you are seeing the consequences of your actions and don't know what to do. But let me tell you, Jesus is lovingly waiting for you to let him into your life. Matter of fact, Jesus wants you right now to trust in him. He is waiting on you. And there is no better sign of Jesus being our redeemer than not only the cross, but this table. Because the cross and the table both remind us of Jesus' love, but also what was required to satisfy God's wrath. His body and his blood. So as we prepare our hearts and minds to come to the table, we do so remembering, honoring a God who not only spoke up for us, but stepped up for us and laid down his life so that we may get up. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the good news that even though we are jacked up sinners, that even as a pastor who just preached this word, my heart is still corrupted. I still need you to create in me a clean heart. I still go back against my word day after day, but Jesus, I thank you for being our great intercessor who lives to intercede for us. So God, I pray that whoever may be struggling to just trust in you, God, I pray that we all let go of control and give it to you. For you are the mighty one who is worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.